Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. No success at work is worth failure at home. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from Dina Jansen of Austin, Texas. Dina came to us via referral from one of our former guests on the show, and I really appreciated that she decided to share some of her time with us. As you're going to hear, Dina's had a very successful career in accounting, and we talk about how each stage had its own unique benefits along the way. But then towards the end of the interview, we get into Dina's new venture, actually, which although it definitely involves some similar skills, It's also definitely different than what we think of when we think of what an accounting career can prepare you for down the road. It's a really interesting twist. This is going to be a unique episode for us, so I hope you thoroughly enjoy the conversation. And if you do, please remember to check us out online as well at www.whereaccountantsgo.com for this and all our other episodes. And please subscribe right there on the webpage as well, or of course, through your app on your phone through the iTunes directory whatever your preferred listening device is. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Dina Jansen of Austin, Texas. Well, good morning, Dina. I know this is an exciting time for you, sir. I really appreciate you spending some of your time to share your story with the audience. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Well, for the audience, Dina Jansen in Austin, Texas, is on the show today to share her story with us, and it's going to be a little unique in that she's had a very, very, very successful career in accounting, and now she's actually embarking on a new direction. Dina, I'm going to skip a lot of the normal introduction I do because I really want to get to the meat of your story and and use the time more for the audience to hear directly from you about your journey. Before we get into what you're going to be doing now, it's important that we get a full picture of sort of where you came from in the early days in your career. So let's start at the beginning. What initially caused you to think about accounting as a possible career in the first place? It's a good question. And I it's a good one to start with because when I think back growing up, I really didn't know what career I wanted to land in. I remember thinking, bouncing between a lawyer, there for a while I wanted to be a high school principal, specifically high school, and I couldn't really decide where I wanted to to fall, but I guess I just always knew that I wanted to lead people and be in charge in some sort of way. So when I went to college, I actually decided to major in business management. It seemed logical. Everything I'd heard was that a business degree would really support me in whatever career I went into. And well, why not manage people? So, but quickly in my first 
class for my first business management class, my freshman year, I took and it was so boring. And I don't know if it was the professor or me, but very quickly I realized that I don't know if this is if this is what I really want to learn for the next four years. And at the same time, then that freshman year, I was taking my first accounting class and people seemed to really be complaining about it and really not enjoying it. And I didn't think it was that bad. I was like, hey, the numbers make sense and everything equals out. And that kind of played into my my desire to find answers. But the graduate assistant one day just said, you'll always be able to find a job if you major in accounting. And I think my brain went, okay, wait, what? I'll, I'll always have a job? And I think that security just, and knowing that it was coming pretty naturally to me and I found it pretty interesting, I changed my major. So once I changed my major, then dove into accounting and changed my track. And and then I kind of really say that the machine took over because I went to Texas Tech University, all of the big four, the national accounting firms start recruiting pretty early. And and then I just followed along wherever they told me to go and knew that long-term, I thought accounting would have, would be a really great place for me. So. Wow. I can't tell you how many people have come on the podcast and said someone at, at some point in their college career, usually early on said, you know, if you major in accounting, you'll always have a job. It's a very common reason actually. It's common, but it's true. And I truly feel like it's such, it's a wonderful skill set that people want are looking for that skill set, whether you want to do it part-time on the side or whether you want to go and do it in industry or if you want to do it in public accounting. And really, I didn't even kind of know how many cool ways you could use accounting. I feel like I'm still learning. But it also, you know, as, as a female, I also knew that it would afford me flexibility. And I, I, I didn't probably know that until I was in the moment, but I was told that I would be afforded flexibility. And absolutely, I've seen that play out in my career. Interesting. Okay. So what was your first move out of college, your first internship or first job? Sure. Well, while I was in, I always like to mention like while I was in college, I always worked because my, I feel like I don't want to forget those first jobs, even though they weren't my first full-time jobs. So while I was in college, I actually interned at Arthur Anderson in San Antonio in the summer, which is not a normal internship time. So I actually did a lot of internal control process memos. It was pretty brutal. I remember being really excited one day when I actually got to foot something. But it was an interesting time then because when I went came back to school, Arthur Anderson and, and Enron happened. So a lot of me and my coworkers who had had internships and had full-time offers with Anderson then were quickly looking for other opportunities. So for me then, even after I graduated, I knew I was going to be staying in Lubbock for one more year as my husband finished out school. So I ended up working at a local firm in Lubbock, and I was connected to them through my college professor. You know, I mentioned that off the bat, people seem to, people who don't go through the entire accounting program in college don't really appreciate it, but some really don't appreciate governmental accounting. <laughs> and that was another class where oddly, I actually found it really interesting and thought it was cool how it all worked and fit together. And so I was able to be a graduate assistant for Dr. Robert Freeman, who was a former member of the Governmental Accounting Standards Board. So in school, I was working kind of under an expert, and he was able then to refer me to my first job there in Lubbock, and then even on to my second. So my first job, I, I worked in a local firm and did, again, predominantly governmental-type clients, so municipalities and, and school districts. And it was a really wonderful time because it was 
the hours weren't so intense that it was, I was able to do my job, but also study for the exam, which I took then that first year. I like to say really old school style because I was, it was two full days of sitting in a big conference center with my Ziploc baggie and my pencils, you know, so so we did that and we lived there for a year while my husband finished out and then we moved home and I started working at Deloitte and Touche here in Austin. Wonderful. Yeah, I remember the Ziploc baggie. It had to be a clear bag. Yes, it did. I had to be Absolutely. able to see what was in there. <laughs> it was exhausting those two days and they saved that. What, whichever the, I think it was FAR, that those days, you know, the, just the hardcore intense math and oh, it was that last part of the second day and I just didn't even know. I felt like I was just drawing pictures with the bubbles. At the end, I was pretty shot. But so. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little different back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, while you were at Deloitte, were you on any specific team or did you have any specialties? Or Yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay. So my entire time in the public accounting space, I've always been on the audit side of the house. Oh, and cool. I remember in college, I share this story and I'll, I'll share why in a moment. I, I want to, I'll, I'll give you a caveat after, but I remember someone also saying like, well, what are you going to, you have to choose a track audit or tax. And I said, well, I haven't done either. How do I know? <laughs> How do I know what to pick? And they were like, well, do you like people? And I said, well, yeah, I like people. And they're like, well, then you should do audit. And I was like, well, Okay. And so I chose that track again, not having either. Now looking back again, I am so appreciative of the folks on the tax side because they for sure work with people because they do my taxes. I can't even do my own for sure. But I have then been on the, the audit side of the house the whole time, specialized again. I, I moved over again since I had my connection with Dr. Freeman. He helped me meet someone here in town. So again, I was working in the government side, working on about five really large clients, cities and counties, government agencies, and some private colleges and universities. So I came in as an experienced hire and I stayed on till the time I was a senior manager. Wow. Okay. How long was that, more or less? So I was there for eight years. Okay. But before we move on out of that period, what do you feel you gained from that experience, like from a holistic perspective for your career? What benefit do you feel like you you gained from being one of the big four for that long? Yeah, absolutely. I think when I walk away with it, I, I feel like I kind of have three things that have stuck with me. One, and sometimes you don't realize you learn these things till you're out of the walls. <laughs> so looking, it's really nice to have the hindsight. But I feel like first I did realize that I really did like people. So I really <laughs> loved working in teams and not only just my engagement teams, but with the clients. You find really quickly in public accounting, whether you're in tax or audit, that it's you learn so much about project management and how you manage your team and your clients So those first couple of years, you're really learning about yourself, right? Because you're being managed and you learn, well, how do I do what I do and how do I do it best? And I am deadline driven. So I've learned that about myself, but how can I start building relationships with just my team members, but also with my clients? So I feel like I did really, you're given a really wonderful opportunity to mix and mingle with all different people because you're, you know, you're kind of new into the profession, but as you grow into that, those relationships expand and you see people move clients move to different clients and you get to learn their where they are in their industries. And, and so just really learning that I loved people and that there's so many wonderful people out there that are resources for us. But, and then speaking of resources, I feel like that was the other second thing I learned was that access to resources and experts, it's just necessary in what we do. There's so much information and everything we do is so technical and oftentimes 
so compliance driven that you realize you quickly can't know it all. So not only do I feel like there's a really important focus that needs to be had on finding a niche, an area of expertise that you can find as early in your career as you can, also then finding out just who are the other experts that you can reach out to when something new comes up, because that is what I I felt like I learned watching others was how can we connect other people in ourselves, our clients, our teammates to information if we don't have them, because there's just a lot and we want to get to the best answer. So I feel like learning how to find resources and whether that's just online resources or, or actual human experts, that was key. And then really last for me was that I, I realized that I was truly blessed to really be surrounded by a lot of strong female leadership. Like I mentioned, I, I knew going in, I wanted to have a family one day and, and I did. I ended up having two children while I was at Deloitte and I was surrounded by women who supported me and what my career would look like with two children. And I did go to a reduced workload after my first child and stayed on that throughout the rest of my time at Deloitte. And and I was supported in that. And I remember just knowing like, these are other women who are trying to balance. They have career aspirations. They have families that they want to be with. And they also want to, you know, somehow take care of themselves. And I just remember feeling really supported in that, knowing that wherever I went in the future, I wanted a place that was like that. And I wanted to be that kind of person for other women. Hmm. I appreciate you bringing that up because I, when I've asked other individuals about their experience at the big four, the access to resources is one of the common you know, items that comes up and, and just the quality of the experience and, and that kind of thing. But you're the first person to bring up family flexibility. That's, that's interesting. I think that's, that's good for people yeah. to hear. That's well, and it's important. And wh- well, why I would say that is some people might go, really? <laughs> exactly. I think, you, I think what I learned was that I had to speak up for what I wanted, right? And, and I'll be honest, when I got pregnant for the first time, I started looking around because I assumed, like a lot of people, there's no way I can make it happen. Surely, there, I'm not going to be able to have both because I don't want to work these hours. And until I just sat down with someone and just said, this is what I want, I really like what I'm doing. I feel like I'm contributing and I'm moving up. What can we do? And they were like, well, we have these opportunities and we can make it happen. So let's try. So I would say that I I think people should try. They need to speak up for what, and this means, this lives regardless of if it's children or female or male, whatever, because so much of our personal lives mean a lot to us. You've got to ask and then try to make it work. And But then it, it, it is definitely, it's a team effort. I needed to be able to still do what I said I was going to do on time. And I also needed to then for them to stay on to their side of the agreement and support me as I tried to manage that as best I could. So hmm. that's a good lesson. Yeah, just I think a lot of people are, are ready to jump before they've even asked. Right. <laughs> you know, if, if right. there's a possibility there. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So when you did move on from Deloitte, what was your next move? Where did you go? Well, I ended up at Maxwell Luck and Ritter, and okay. they are the largest locally owned and operated CPA firm here serving, we say Austin, but we have an, there's an Austin and a Round Rock office, so greater the greater Austin area. And like I mentioned, I interviewed with them when I was pregnant with my first child because I had heard wonderful things about them. And I had heard that they had this culture that they had a saying that, no success at work is worth failure at home. It's actually a core value now. But I remember just saying, you know, let me just go meet them and see what it's like. But 
as I mentioned, it wasn't quite time for me. And I actually ended up staying with Deloitte five more years from my first interview with Maxwell Lock and Ritter. But when I finally felt that I was really up for just a different challenge and a different work environment, again, just wanting some difference for me, sometimes we just feel that in our own being. I landed here and I have been here then, or I was there till 2011. I started in 2011, excuse me. And within a few months of joining, I was actually given a really cool opportunity to move over into serving nonprofit clients completely. And that was really exciting for me. And then I stuck with the nonprofit niche until I left the firm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting to me that you started in 2011 and you're talking about the culture and you had interviewed five years before that. I'm well, slow to change. <laughs> <laughs> so You're a good accountant. Yeah. <laughs> no, but because MLR has been on that best firms for women list that Accounting Today puts out. They uh, have. I know this last year and, and I think a couple of years. So it's it's intriguing to me to know that it's something that's been in the culture for, you know, 10 years or so now, if not mm-hmm. longer. If not longer. Yeah, it has been. I think it was the firm was started by some former big four accountants and really just wanted to bring together a group of really strong, smart people, but that also wanted to focus on life outside of the profession. So I think that they do make it part of of everything they do. And they just believe in great people, great clients, and, and being part of the community. So they stuck with it from the beginning, and it really has become a part of their everyday, their everyday work. Mm, that's wonderful. So at what point did you become partner? So after three years with a firm, I became partner and, okay. again, was able to manage the nonprofit practice. And it's funny, I, I honestly said no the first time they asked me, <laughs> okay. which seems odd. But again, I'm slow to change, I guess, and maybe more risk averse than I probably might need to be. But I just respected what they had to offer so much. And I just didn't want to be the one to mess any of it up. So sure enough, it it just took me a little soul searching and get a little over the the fear. But then I became partner and, and loved every minute of it. Okay. Was there anything that changed during that time between the time you said no and then later? Yeah, I, I talked to people. <laughs> I went and just felt like I needed to ask questions of other partners. What is it really like? And and again, most of it was fear-driven. What if I'm the one who messed up and or if I don't know the answers? And they were consistent in the messaging. And the messaging back was, we're human. If we mess up, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together. And I felt very safe and supported with the other partners in the group that eventually I just, I knew that they believed in me and I had to go ahead and believe in myself as well. So, and it, it was a win-win, I hope, I think. So. Hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because one of the things I wanted to ask you about is for the younger student, or not younger, but for the student audience that we have they're not necessarily familiar with what life of a partner in an accounting firm is like. So what was being a partner at a major accounting firm like? I mean, what, what's a typical day or week like? Sure. I think there's two things. I think I can only speak to my experience here at Maxwell Lock & Ritter. And so one thing that I, I loved how we did is we, we knew that we needed to play to our strengths. Each of us brought, at the time I was partner, there were about 20 of us, and we each brought something special and 
unique that only we could do, right? That we were the best in the world, that we were huge, good to great believers, right? Jim Collins book. And so we believed in you do what you're best at because that is when you're going to bring the most value to the firm. So we did that in our annual goal setting process. You kind of lay out where does my time go? And so for me, a typical day may have looked different than someone else is what I'm trying to say. So for me, of course, there's a technical piece of it. There's work paper review and going over complicated issues and complex accounting things with our clients, which I loved. But there was also, which is another part that I love, just learning and getting out into the community and connecting. So it was some days my my kids would laugh at my calendar. I mean, seven different meetings, seven different parts of the city, right? You know, those days where you just, you know how you got home, but you have been in a lot of other places throughout the day. So it, it was meeting a lot of the time that I see people don't, I think that people don't realize is how much time a partner spends on developing their people and then developing current clients that we're working with now and then developing prospect client relationships. And so that is where so much of our time is spent as partners. And each of those, that's why I say it's not necessarily a numbers business. It is a people business. Not only are we in client service, but we really have to build up relationships. And so a lot of our time is spent that way. Not now, obviously, but earlier on, you know, if you think back to 2011 when you started or 2013, you know, when you became partner around those times, did business development activities scare you at all or or you have, have you always been just that kind of person? No, I wouldn't say it scared me. Now I'll say the, the saying that still gets thrown around is I would never have called myself a rainmaker, right? Like people use that term a lot and I don't know, I've, it's never been one that I would call myself or enjoyed. But what I found is that each of us develops business in our own way, but you can't not figure out what your way is. Because if, if you're going to be a partner, you are responsible for making sure that you continue to have clients because you have great people that you need to pay. <laughs> so we have expenses, right? And that's the model. We have, we have revenue and we have people, right? Those are where that's, we've got to pay them to do that great work. So it is important to manage those relationships. So for me, it was to make sure that my current clients were felt that I was engaged and I was active and that I could connect them to resources. And then for me, looking for prospects was always, how can I help you connect the dots? Because even though business development may not happen in the moment, because they don't, sometimes lead times from meeting someone to them actually being a client is years, but you have to just stay with it and know that eventually these, these relationships, they normally bear fruit. So, Okay. Okay. Well, but before we move on out of that, is there anything else that you feel is important for younger professionals to know about becoming a partner if they want to go that track? You know, maybe they're just starting in public accounting. Yeah. Yeah. I would think there's just, there's a couple of things. If I could nail down the lessons that I feel like mm-hmm. helped me as I look back is one, there's always that percentage that only about 20% of success in a role really relates to the technical nature of what you do. But in our profession, because we are built on trust, you've got to get the technical down. So the sooner you can really start embracing more complex areas and start reading contracts and learning these things that may seem foreign to you now, I think being comfortable with complexity is a skill, right? Like every time your client, you never know what they're going to say when they call. The client's going to be like, oh, we just entered a new contract and you have no idea what you're going to be looking at. 
So being comfortable with that. So the earlier you start asking for it, the better. And then I would say when I, I always try to say is in that same, like I mentioned earlier, find other experts. So realize sometimes you're going to need, you may not be the right one to answer the question. And so partners, typically a skill set in partners is that they know how to pick up the phone quickly and say, hey, I have a client with this issue. Can you help me out because I'm not the right one or, or who is going to be able to be that, that expert that's really going to help them? And then beyond the technical and learning to use experts in your work is, we have talked about it, but start growing your network and learn to grow one person at a time. I feel like when I left Deloitte, that is the biggest thing that I learned. I realized, wow, I felt very connected, but I was very connected within the walls of that organization. And that made sense to me then. But when I moved into a local firm, I didn't have I didn't have Austin connections, right? So whatever city you might be in, you just, it's very interesting to realize how our networks can feel large, but we really always have an opportunity to expand them. So get creative with your networking, network with your teams, different just apartments within your firm, but then also industry groups and places around where you might work because you never know how they might benefit you in the end. That is good advice. I'm curious, when you say build your network one by one, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I think it was your question. I probably didn't answer it really well earlier when you asked if I was scared of business development or if there was a fear. I think a lot of people have a fear because they're like, I'm shy and I don't want to go meet these people. But as many words as I come out with and as extroverted as I might seem, if I go into a happy hour situation, I get just as nervous as the next person. So what I found was someone always said, just go in with a goal of like one business card, right? Like, Go in, find the one person who is off maybe on their own and just start talking. And then it makes it more manageable rather than walking in and feeling like I need to meet all of these people and do that. That can get overwhelming. But again, if you are little, if you can break it into bite-sized pieces and just kind of make one connection at a time, it'll quickly expand because that one person oftentimes will end up saying, gosh, you know who you need to meet? You need to meet such and such. And you say, Absolutely, I should. And then the chain starts without you having to go and seek it. Okay. I could tell you were very intentional with that phrase. And so I, I yeah. was curious. And yeah. That's always been my thought too, is, you know, it's much better to talk to one person, maybe two, and go deep as right? opposed to try to leave with 20 business cards yeah. and you really didn't have any, you Absolutely. Know, any meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. So tell us what you're doing now because you you've left Maxwell Lock and Ritter, correct? I have. I have. Wow. I, have. Okay. I know. I'm still mourning the loss. It was such a wonderful place, but I did. I left at the beginning of February of 2018. So, yeah, just okay. a little bit ago. Okay. And yeah, for the audience, we're recording this in mid-February, so mm-hmm. it's very fresh, very It fresh. is fresh. That's why I keep using we and our. <laughs> It's, you know, having to change my my pronouns is is throwing me a bit. So what are you going to be doing exactly? Absolutely. So I just decided after some some soul searching and and really really with help from other partners here in the firm that... I was ready to go off and launch my own business, and it's, it's called Dina Speaks, and it's basically an inspiration-based line of speaking, writing, and guiding. So I just believe in the power of potential, and I love to get in front of people and just spark curiosity. And so I will be 
doing public speaking, obviously, doing conference speaking, corporate trainings. We'll probably have some webinars out there eventually. And, you know, maybe my own podcast, Mark, I'll have to learn from you. (laughs) But really just any way that I can get out there and spur on other potential seekers, because I, I feel like we're the world's in a place right now where we just want someone to just be real. And I feel like that's something I bring to the table. I'm pretty honest. And I like to just And I can laugh at myself too through the process, but I've gone through my own personal growth journey and I can't separate my personal from my professional growth journey. So for me, there there were changes in both sides, obviously deciding to make this leap into entrepreneurship, but that's what I'm going to be up to. So I will hopefully just be speaking and creating a community of, of people that are really just excited to learn more about themselves, but how they can make themselves better but then how that makes the whole better. So uh, anything in the corporate culture space is always fascinating to me. So I'm excited to launch into it. Wonderful. What, what's your, your target audience? Is, is it size of company or certain yeah, demographics? It's a really good question. And I would say that I nail it down to about three targets, right? One okay. is I am drawn to what I call strong-willed women. And I include supportive dudes in that <laughs> because there's, there's this space of people that are just really into personal growth and understanding who they are and what they want to be about, knowing that that's going to bring forth a stronger version of themselves either in their home or their workplace. But then there's also, of course, in this accounting space, but also just client service driven spaces where, like I mentioned before, it's a people business. So there are organizations, not only in the accounting space, but I'm even finding in hospitality where they want to have a culture that appreciates the individual, but how that also then makes their organization as a whole stronger. So I've been fortunate to work with some regional accounting firms and look forward to working with with other groups of, of all sizes. I'm hoping to be back in the walls of Deloitte someday sharing my story because they were part of mine. So. And then that third group is, and I've mentioned a little, is it, but the nonprofit space, and I don't okay. like to call it the nonprofit space because I think they, I like to call them mission-driven organizations because they, they are also in just dire need of, of someone just kind of just breathing some light back into them and some life because they work really hard, but oftentimes can, can lose track of themselves. So, so those, are, those are the folks I'm going to be working with. Wow, that is exciting. Do you, do you see yourself traveling quite a bit for this? I hope so. I don't want to be gone too much because my kiddos are 10 and 12, and they don't appreciate me being gone too long, but they, they don't mind it when I have these summer conferences and they get to come with me. So we're hoping to have a little adventure you know, for the family and, and for myself. So for so some, but definitely I'm, I'm also really excited to, I've been commuting into town. So I live in a suburb about 20 miles south of Austin in Buda, Texas. Oh. And I'm, I'm really excited to be in my own community too, and really learning them and being there because I slept there, but I drove here into town. And so I'm going to try to marry both of those communities that have been special to me. So, hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes from when we started this recording. And one of the things I wrote down was you knew at a young age, you, you always wanted to lead and be in charge. What are you going to do without people to be in charge of? Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> My poor kids. No, I'm just kidding. I I think, you know, and it's so funny you ask that because as we speak, and as you mentioned earlier, I'm only about three weeks out into this self-employment world. And 
I quickly realized that I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to work in my home all the time. I'll be finding either a co-working space or even right now I'm sitting in the walls of Max Lock and Ritter. They allowed me to just reserve an office really for this time so I could be around people. And then hopefully, you know, the bigger goal is that I grow. And by the end of my first year, I've got other staff and team members that are, that are helping me build this dream up. So there you go. There you go. Actually, you know, a, a good virtual assistant can make yes. a big difference. <laughs> when you're I'll, I'll look into it. <laughs> well, before we get to the final question, one of our listeners suggested this question a while back, and I, I like to try to include it whenever appropriate. And I think for someone like yourself, it's definitely appropriate. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, just one, what do you think that might be? Don't stop learning. Hmm. Okay. Do you want me to expand? (laughs) The biggest piece behind that is that at some point, and, you know, I called it the machine way earlier in in the podcast that the machine of the recruiting machine took over then, but the machine of life just kind of takes over and we get really busy. We get really bogged down in just the day-to-day of our, whatever your profession is, going through the audits and doing this and then getting home with the kids. But I realized that at some point I stopped getting curious about new learning and that, that was really energizing to me. And so I started reading again. And ever since then, I just, I've not put it down. And when you, so just, I know that you're like, okay, you want me to not stop learning and you want me to read, really. I have no time. But I promise if you start to listen to speakers, if you go to conferences or if you go to listen to podcasts or whatever, you're going to hear oftentimes they say, well, the last book I read was, or I read this. And I was like, wow, it's really trying to just make sure that we're not just scrolling through information, right, through all of our feeds, but actually learning something new and seeing a different viewpoint and and just kind of spiking your curiosity again. So that is what works for me because I do enjoy new learnings and it keeps things fresh. That's a good point. It's important to take accountability for your own continuing education, so to speak. Right, right. There you go. There you go. So I end every podcast with the same three questions, and I like to use the same questions because I think it gives us some good consistency, and frankly, I think some of the the best insight comes out of of the last three questions on each episode. So the first one is usually the easiest. Okay. What has been your proudest moment? My proudest moment is not one moment. It is my two children in every moment. If they do anything or I see them doing something kind or I hear some accomplishment and you see them being proud of themselves, then my heart just bursts. So I'm just proud of my babies. How old are they now? 10 and 12. They will always be my babies. I was going to say, my 12-year-old doesn't like me referring to her as a baby anymore. Probably not, but. (laughs) Well, second, tell us about a mistake you've made. And of course, we want to know what you learned from it. But frankly, the bigger, the better. Okay. I wish that I could really think of a really big mistake because I, I believe in learning from those. But the one that, for whatever reason, still makes my stomach turn right now was one that may not seem that big, but. I was a senior manager at Deloitte and I had turned in a report for review to a partner. And I remember that I had really, I mean, I'll just be honest. I had just, same as last year, I pretty much just copied it, changed the dates and hadn't really done a thorough review. And it came back with a few comments, but then she called me and she just very, all she asked was, Dina, did you review this against the latest template? And I remember I 
I had no, I had to choose. Am I going to lie to this woman that I respect? Or, and I had to just say no. And I know that doesn't sound really big, but in the moment to have to literally face this woman and feel like, you know, when your parents were disappointed in you, that's what it was. It was just knowing she was disappointed. I remember just being so embarrassed. And so I learned that whatever I need to do or whatever I'm doing, I have to do it to the best of my ability and realize that quality matters. And not only did the quality matter, but it was in the best interest because we need to manage risk. So I needed to learn that I had to have quality because it manages risk for myself and the firm. And finally, then I found that you could be held accountable and have that person still be really kind and gracious to you because it never came up again. But I definitely, I still, oh, it still hurts me because I respected her so much. So, Well, you know, it's important you didn't back up the one mistake with a second mistake of lying about it. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, I know. I know. And again, it seems little, but I think it's when you really do realize that you're, you really do respect the people you work with that you need to give them the respect they deserve with your work. That is a good lesson. Well, last question, and then we will close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? The best piece of advice that I have ever received was very clearly, don't ever make a decision solely based out of fear. And Heather McKissick, a a wonderful executive here in Austin, she, not in the CPA space, but she was one of the people I reached out to, as I mentioned earlier in my soul searching on becoming a partner, I reached out to her and just kind of talked her through my what I was thinking. And she was really kind. And she basically said, like, you called me, right? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, so I can say whatever I want. And I said, (laughs) oh, no, yes. (laughs) And she said, well, you're just being a security cat. And you can't ever make that decision solely based out of fear. And she said, others believe in you and you need to do it for yourself. So I've held that in my pocket ever since because fear can, can have a pretty good hold. So I try to not let it lead my judgments. Wow, you need to keep in touch with her. We I know, she's wonderful. That. I still thank her. She's, she's wonderful. That's neat. Wow. Well, thank you again. I, I know this is a busy time for you starting a new business, and so I really appreciate you taking the time to share with our audience. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful. Well, for our audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you haven't yet visited the website, please do so. You can find us at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have the show notes for each and every episode, including this one, of course. That's whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Dina, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the audience? Man, final thoughts, I guess, is I would love to stay connected with, with you and your audience. And if they ever want to reach out or try to find me, they could always go and look at dinajansen.com. They could find me there and get links to my social. As I, if they want to watch an accountant try to build up a speaking practice, <laughs> it might be a hoot sometimes. But really, the final words that I always remember is that I tell my kids every day is just make good choices. So we're blessed to be humans and get to be in control of our lives. So just do the best you can to make good choices. That is good advice. That is good advice. We're going to put a link on the website, but spell out the website just for anybody. Sure. It's it's my full name, D-E-N-A-J-A-N-S-E-N.com, DinaJansen.com. Wonderful, DinaJansen.com. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.